This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that you would give us minds to understand, hearts to receive, and wills to do that which you call us to do for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So in that story we just heard read from Luke's Gospel, Jesus tell of a man who was successful, smart, savvy, and shrewd. And Jesus basically says, we can learn a thing or two from this man. And this story is often referred to as the parable of the dishonest manager, which seems a very appropriate title. And the story begins with a manager who's been squandering his master's property. And somehow, his mismanagement is uncovered. And as the story unfolds, we learn how the manager engages in some quick thinking and sharp dealing. He knows that once he's dismissed, he's never going to find a decent job again. And we learn that he wasn't strong enough to dig. He didn't want to end up begging. And so instead, he does something devious. He calls in the various debtors of his master and does them all a big favor. A big favor, I might add, not with his own money, but with his master's money. And the first debtor comes in owing 100 jugs of oil, and he's told to change it to 50. And then the next one owes 100 containers of wheat, and he says, oh, mark that down to 80. And on and on it goes. This is clever, because he successfully puts his boss in a very difficult spot. The relieved debtors, not knowing that this manager that's talking to them has been fired, they'll be delighted at the seeming generosity of his master. Indeed, some of them may even pay up the discounted sum straight away, which would benefit perhaps the master. So the master then must either take credit for what his double-crossing manager has done and lose a significant profit, or expose him for the crook that he is and risk losing all the goodwill of the people that have just, has just been acquired. He's basically in a lose-lose situation. And, you know, the ending to this story, had we been listening to this, and maybe some of you were, for the very first time, um, you might have expected the ending to be discovering his manager's dishonesty. The, the master banishes the manager to prison, demanding that he stays there until every penny is paid. And perhaps Jesus might have added, likewise, you too must be honest with God, or you will be banished to outer darkness. That's not how the story ends. No, Jesus praises this dishonest rogue who swindled his master to feather his own nest and tells us to learn from him. What was going on here? This is where my love-hate relationship with the lectionary comes into play. It would be nice not to have this passage, but here we are, so we're going to dig in. And a closer look reveals that Jesus' praise for this man is not for his dishonesty. 
it is not. Rather, for his shrewdness, verse 8, and his master commended the dishonest manager because he's acted shrewdly, and here's the key point, for the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. Sometimes non-Christians are smarter than we are. Well, that's probably not a big piece of news, but anyway, there you go. But dishonest though he was, the manager had a keen eye for the future. Disgraceful though his methods were, he did well for himself. And therein lies quite a striking contrast between the manager's conduct about his earthly prospects, which was as far as he could see, and the conduct of most people about their eternal prospects, about their very souls. When we think of the time and energy and effort many people invest in their homes, in in making money, on social media, or simply living life for themselves, and then compare that to the time and energy and money people invest in their commitment to God, then maybe we can begin to get somewhere near understanding the challenge of this story. We live in a culture that so often plays mere lip service to the things of God. We're rightly warned from an early age to read the small print and be careful of offers that sound too good to be true. Indeed, Jesus tells us elsewhere we are to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. Being shrewd should not only be a quality of people who are self-serving or dishonest. We need to be shrewd for the sake of the kingdom of God. But how? How can we be shrewd for God? Well, one way that we can be shrewd for God is with money. Indeed, that's the focus of this morning's gospel passage. And I know that Christians sometimes struggle with talking about money, or or perhaps with preachers talking about money. Uh, Maybe because they feel guilty about it, maybe because they've had some bad experiences. They've been rightly turned off by leaders who have incessantly begged for money. Or maybe they're just weary from all the requests for good causes that we all get coming into our email boxes or our, our mailboxes. And some at Ascension have expressed being tired of our asks. Well, we know this. Jesus talked a lot about money. And I suspect that's because he knew and wanted us to know what a powerful spiritual barometer money can be. Let me say that again. Money can be a very powerful spiritual barometer. Show someone your bank or credit card statements for a year, and they will probably get a reasonable idea of where your priorities lie. Now, some people are driven by the desire to have more money, more experiences, more power, more of whatever it is that money can buy. And then there are others who are terrified and crushed and enslaved by debt and financial struggles that can lead to despair. 
So let's take a careful look at what Jesus has to say about money in this passage. And Jesus says some things that are hard to understand, like in verse 9, where he says, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into eternal homes. What does that mean? Well, I think at least in part what Jesus is saying here is that we should use money, we should use worldly things, wealth, effectively, so that when it fails, as it surely will, we will have invested in those things that really matter in the kingdom of God. All right, but you're saying you're still not answering the question. How do we do that? How can we invest in the kingdom of God? Well, there are lots of ways. On this day, when we will break ground for the new Ethel and Ken Bailey Parish Hall and the Carlucci Commons and the new Narthex, we are literally turning the first spades on an investment. It's an investment using temporal things like money, stone, steel, glass, that we pray will have an eternal return in the kingdom of heaven. This financial investment is designed to help us extend God's kingdom by increasing our ability to show hospitality to our neighbors and to the world. And 21 years ago, people in this congregation invested money to build our new education wing, which is right now filled with children. And today we see the good fruit of that investment as every day of the week, these buildings are used by hundreds if not thousands of people. And we have people through our doors almost every day from countries from all over the world coming to learn English where also they find welcome, love, and care. And most recently, we're welcoming people who are fleeing persecution and war and are seeking refuge and help in the face of injustice. And we know that God cares about this. That was what our Old Testament reading from Amos was all about. God cares about injustice and when falsehood and deceit are practiced. These things matter to God. And of course, in a congregation like ours, hundreds of people get to live out their calling as disciples of Jesus every day in their workplaces and in their vocations. These are the places where we are to live as Christians, Christians who are shrewd, not for our own advancement, but for the gains of the gospel. I think of Ethel and Ken Bailey, in whose names our new hall will be built. They are such wonderful examples of faithful Christians who've used their God-given abilities to invest in the kingdom of God. Ethel, through her science, through her research in the salt labs up the road in the 1950s that culminated in the development of the polio vaccine. And Ken, through his biblical scholarship, his teaching and preaching in many different countries, including here in Pittsburgh and from this pulpit, and whose books still help so many today to understand, actually, parables like this. Likewise, Christina Carlucci, who died so unexpectedly less than four years ago, she was a good steward of the gifts and the personality that God had entrusted to her. And she used those gifts every day 
ministering to children and families, and in extending love and hospitality to countless people of all ages. And so each of us is called to be a faithful manager, a faithful steward of the time, talents, opportunities, personalities, and yes, money as well, that God has entrusted to us. And this is true for us as individuals, and it's true for us corporately as a congregation. As a church, we invest in people and programs and all that goes into being salt and light in this city. And sometimes that investment is through direct financial support. Sometimes it's in providing space in these buildings. We have a, 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 a congregation from Sudan meeting here. In fact, did they, I'm looking at Bishop Grant, did they start yesterday? They did, started meeting here yesterday, for example. Sometimes it's through the investment we make in our staff team. The resources that have been entrusted to us, including these buildings, the money that you give to God's work through Ascension, and each and every person who belongs in our midst, all of these together are God's resources. We are merely managers of those things. And our job, our calling, our task is to be faithful, generous, and shrewd managers. That's what we're called to as individuals with that portion of God's wealth that we are each responsible for. And that's what we're called to corporately for that which is entrusted to Church of the Ascension. And it's, it's a weighty responsibility, one that we must take seriously. And so the members of the vestry are called to oversee, make sure that funds are used wisely, properly. And it's a tragedy and causes such pain and suffering when that doesn't happen. And we've seen that all over the place. We've seen it too close to home here in Pittsburgh too. As we hear and share the stories of God at work in and through us, here at this corner of Neville and Ellsworth, and in all the places where we live and work, we give glory to God for what he is doing in the lives of men, women, and children. The story of God's love and God's faithfulness is the story that runs through all the pages of the Bible from the very beginning to the very end. It's the story of a creator God who loves us. It's a story of God who, when we had turned from him, did not reject us, but came to meet us in his son who opened wide his arms of love for us upon a cross and made the perfect sacrifice for sin. That's the backdrop of why we give. We give in response to God's faithfulness and saving love. And as citizens of his kingdom, we are his subjects. He is the king. He is the master. He is the Lord. And we are his managers. And so Jesus concludes this little vignette, this story, this parable with an exhortation to be shrewd for the kingdom of God with a very blunt word. No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The dishonest manager had clearly been a bad steward of his master's wealth. 
He had squandered his master's property. Indeed, those were the charges that led to him being hauled in to give an account. But what about you? What account will you be able to give of the way you have used the wealth that has been entrusted to you? And I put it that way very deliberately. You know, we more naturally prefer to talk about, you know, my money, uh, that which I've earned and uh, from my own hard work. And yet, so much of the wealth that we enjoy comes as a result of the opportunities that we have been given. So let us thank God for our minds, for our employment, for our health, for our strength. And remember that with those blessings come great responsibilities. We are to practice hospitality. We are to help the poor. And we're to use money as a means to an end, the eternal end of being devoted to God and not money, of being responsible with that which God has entrusted to us to use as his faithful stewards. And Jesus said in verse 10, whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. Investing in the kingdom of God very often concerns the very smallest things, being faithful in a little. And so in our lives as Christians, we're called to pay faithful attention to the everyday familiar tasks that come our way, however small and insignificant they may seem to us. Most people, their lives consist of a series of small steps. None of us is likely to, to discover the cure for cancer. Although I thank God for those who are working in the labs here in Pittsburgh looking for that. We're not likely single-handedly to reverse climate change or bring about racial reconciliation across our nation. But all of us can be good managers of what God has entrusted to us in the lab, in how we live, and in how we speak of others. This coming week will be filled with all sorts of opportunities to be shrewd managers and to be faithful, such as putting your smartphone aside to be fully present to those around you, reading a story to a child, being a conversation partner for someone from Ukraine or Afghanistan or some other country through our ESL program, preparing a meal for someone in need, writing a note, making the first move to talk with someone you've fallen out with, going to choir practice, visiting someone who is sick, listening to someone, telling the truth, working on a project at work with integrity, helping a colleague, practicing humility by not taking the credit for something you've worked on, forgiving someone who's wronged you, giving again or for the first time, to our building project. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And Jesus went on to say, whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. How honest are you? Are you being honest with yourself about those things that you'd rather not face? Will you be honest about your performance and attitude at work? Will you be honest about money and your financial giving? Do you do the minimum at work or do you work as to the Lord? Do you complain about your work or give thanks to God for your employment? 
Are you being generous financially? Or do you cry poor when actually you're among the richest people on the planet? Being a faithful manager in the kingdom of God is about handling that which ultimately does not belong to us, but rather belongs to God. In the area of our financial stewardship, the responsibility facing each of us is not merely to give to the church's annual budget or to the needs I outlined, outlined 10 days ago in our town hall meeting for our building project. No, faithfulness in our finances concerns much more than that. The question really before us is how will we use all of what God has given to us? 100% including giving back to God the first fruits he so graciously entrusted to us. God is doing so many good things in our midst, in and through the lives of individuals, in and through the ministries at Ascension, in and through the offerings of our lives at work and in the service of others. May we never tire of telling the story of God's love May we always be shrewd managers of that which God has entrusted to us. And may we ever be those who so bountifully give cheerfully. And finally, I pray that we may be faithful, even as God is faithful. Amen.